0: I encourage you to grab your outline this morning. I'm going to kick off a series that will probably be in for three, maybe four weeks, probably three weeks. And then we'll go back to the book of Acts where we've been studying for a while. But uh, there's a number of passages of Scripture that we're going to walk through today. And to help you track along, I've, I've put them on the screen and they're in your outline there for you. But don't misunderstand how important it is to see these Scriptures in the context of the Word of God which you hold in your hand. Whether it's your device or the book in your hand they not only fit, but they are a part of that context. So those of you who are brave with your Bible, you may flip back and forth through there. I welcome you to do that. If you would like to use that outline as a map to guide you through, feel free to to do that today. His name is Wayne Cadero. He's a pastor in Hawaii. And uh, many of our men in this church have been studying one of his books entitled The Divine Mentor. And a couple weeks ago, in one of the assigned chapters that we're reading, Wayne tells a story that I shared with our guys. It was just too good for me not to share again with us here. It's a story about heirlooms and airhead consumers. That's how he titles it. It's a story where he talks about his deep desire to have a solid oak roll-top desk. Guys who would read the book, remember this story? And he wanted to have a solid oak Roll top desk. Because for him, that would be an antique piece of furniture that would be so valuable. He envisioned that his grandkids would would wrestle over who would get that when he's gone. Because it would be grandpa's desk. It would have history. It would have heritage in it. It would be an heirloom. He just thought it would be an awesome thing to own. And as he had that in his heart for a while, he would often shop and look and sometimes the price wasn't right or it didn't seem to be the right time. But one day he was looking and he found a oak wood roll top desk. It was the right price and he was so excited and so in his Eagerness, he purchased it quickly and maybe pulled the trigger too fast, got the desk home, was thrilled, and a couple days later he discovered what he thought was solid oak was only partly solid oak. The very visible pieces were solid oak, but most of it was pressed board with a veneer on the outside to make it look like it was solid oak. And he begins to tell him this story that his idea of this heirloom that people would treasure Few people in his family or any of our families would desire to have Particle Board as some kind of a family heirloom that we inherit. And he begins to elaborate on the story that it's it's often like our own character. Like this roll-top desk of solid oak that he desired that would be of great value. It looks so similar to the one he purchased. In fact, in the right conditions, in the ideal conditions, it would be impossible to tell the difference. Get the lighting right. Get the, the atmosphere right. They both look the same. But you just get a little bit of life going on with that desk. You do a few pieces of business right there at that desk and nicks and dings, and you'll find out if it's sawdust and glue or if it is solid oak and strong. Wayne talks about our character as Christians, that we are passing on something to the people after us. The way you and I live and our relationship with Jesus, the way we live our life doesn't just affect us, it affects everybody around us. And you're passing on a legacy of something. Is it a legacy of this veneer, of this press board, of sawdust and glue that has little to no value, that as soon as life comes... You begin to see the evidence of how fake it really is, or is there a solid oak in your relationship with Christ, and you begin to see that come out in your character. In this message this morning, I really want to share, I really want to ask two questions. But to get to those two questions, there are three or four key truths I want us to look at in this series entitled Encountering Jesus. Because our desire is not to have some kind of fake picture of a relationship with jesus or a walk with jesus or to have just it look right that we look like disciples of jesus under the right circumstances in the right light and the right setting but as we go through life and we experience pain as as we go through life and we take the the bumps and all the things that happen we will begin to see if we've had a real encounter with jesus you see all throughout history we see this truth being made known. The moment that people have an encounter with authentic truth, it changes everything. Jot that down. If you have an encounter with authentic, genuine truth, it will change everything in your life. I could talk about Christopher Columbus when he sailed the ocean and he had an encounter with the truth that the earth was not flat, but it was round and his discovery changed everything. I could tell a story about the United States in the 1800s when the North would battle the South and when the U.S. had an encounter with the truth about the equality of mankind, it changed everything. I could talk about America again and when we encountered the sobering truth at 9-11 and we... Saw it changed everything the way we viewed our safety and we saw our borders were not as secure as we thought they were The way we did life the way we did commerce the way we would travel everything changed by an encounter with that truth I could go on and on throughout your personal history through mine in our individual lives as our collective lives When you experience authentic truth, it changes something around you I have told you parts of this story before in different Places, But it bears repeating again. There was a truth that I kind of knew my whole life. I don't remember when I first found out the truth. And it's the same for you. It's not when you find out the truth, but when you know this truth, when you have an encounter with this truth, it should change something. I was adopted. My only sister, Amy, she was adopted. My wife, who I didn't know when I was adopted, when I was a baby. She was adopted. Her only sibling, her brother Travis, he's adopted. So for our families, adoption was the normal thing. So if you don't have adoption in your house, you guys are weird, not us. And I always knew this truth, and I had encountered this truth from before I could even remember. And every night I'd go to bed, my parents would tell me the story of a husband and wife who wanted to have a child. They couldn't have a child. And God brought them a baby boy, and I'd raise my hand and go, I'm the baby boy. It was over and over and over every night. I can't ever remember when I first heard the truth, but I knew that truth, and it changed things for me. It impacted my life in a huge way. But it's not just the first time that I encountered that truth. As I got older, there was new pieces of that truth that began to change things even more and even more and even more. As I got older, I I learned a little bit more about my birth mother and learned that she was 16 years of age when she had me and, and she made the great loving choice to give me to what she thought was the most loving thing to do to a Christian family who could raise me, could give things to me in a way that she didn't feel like she was equipped to do. It was the same truth, but I saw another aspect of that truth and it changed me. It impacted me forever. As I reached my teenage years and I discovered this legal truth that when you adopt a child, you give up your right to abandon that child without legal punishment. I loved this truth. I could remind my father of that many days in my teenage years. You're stuck with me or else. As I got older and and I got married and and Carrie and I had a child of our own and I, I played the role of a father, I began to see a love that you have for your child. And seeing the choice my parents made, that truth changed me again. And see, when you encounter a truth, it changes things. Not once, but as you continue to encounter that truth, it should change you over and over and over and over again. I want to talk today and next week and the next week about an encounter with Jesus, not just one time, but an ongoing encounter, things should change in us. Thousands of years ago, there was another encounter with truth. There was God's people, the nation of Israel, and they found themselves in a place living in Egypt with a leader named Pharaoh. And he had put God's people into slavery. It was terrible for them. And God raised up Moses and and God told Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, I want you to let my people go. I want to take them to the land that I have for them. And you know the story, especially if you've seen, you know, Charleston Heston's movie, The Ten Commandments, or maybe if that's not your generation, you saw Prince of Egypt, or, or maybe you, you saw it in your Bible story storybook. We, we've seen this over and over again, but I don't want us to lose sight that this is not only a real-life account, it fits into this encounter we have with Jesus. Let me show you how. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. It's rooted in Exodus 12, 1 through 13. Look at it with me, either in your outline or in your Bible. Every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father. A lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. For I will pass through the land of Egypt, and on that night I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. What is that talking about? How does that have anything to do with us having an encounter with Jesus? You see, what's happening is Moses was telling Pharaoh after plague, after plague, after plague, that Pharaoh wasn't doing anything, wasn't responding. He says, listen, hey, tonight all the firstborn are going to be killed. Your son's going to die. And we begin to read of this very first Passover. And the the children of God, they were instructed to take a lamb... And they would bring this lamb into their home. And at the right time, they would kill this lamb, slaughter this lamb. They would take the blood of the lamb. I know this was gross. They would take the blood of the lamb and they would wipe it all over the door frame. And that would be a signal to the angel that would go through that they were covered by this blood of the lamb. And death would not visit them. It would go to those who were not following God. That's exactly what took place. You might say, Brady, what what is the significance of that? And what is with all this gory blood detail stuff? You see, killing the lamb was something that was required because innocent blood needed to be shed for the sin that had been committed. The lamb was a sacrifice. The lamb was a substitute who would die in place of that firstborn in that plague of who was supposed to die. And from that point on, the Israelites would clearly understand for them to be spared death, it would take a shedding of innocent blood. And for years after years after years upon after that, every good Jewish man would take a lamb and would offer it up as a sacrifice to God for their sin. Look at Exodus 29, verse 38 and 39. This is what you're to offer on the altar regularly each day. Each day. Two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. So you offer one lamb as a sacrifice at twilight. That would cover the sins that you'd committed all day long. And then you would offer another lamb in the morning to cover the sins that maybe you committed after the sun went down until the sun came up. And so it was this constant, I'm going to have to live underneath the blood of the innocent that they laid down their life to cover my sin. And then many years later was another passover that we celebrated this last month it it wasn't a truth that people encountered it was the truth the lamb of god that they encountered see two thousand years ago every jewish man was racing toward jerusalem because it was passover every jewish man had a lamb with him or a goat that was without blemish so that he could offer it up to god as a sin offering a, a sacrifice for their sin Yet 2,000 years ago, God did something else. He had something else in store. He was going to provide not a lamb, but the lamb. So that no person would have to take the life of an animal, an innocent animal, to cover their sin. And we'll talk about it in a moment, but when they would sacrifice that lamb, the animal, it would not cleanse or get rid of the sin. It would just cover the sin. But in the lamb... That God would provide It would do something completely different that had never been done before And there's three things that I want us to look at so we can understand To get to these two questions of why I really am talking today It's for these two questions But we need to go through these three things to get to those two questions The first is this If we're going to have an encounter with Jesus We need to understand what this encounter is And understand who he is as we are encountering this truth We have to know and come into contact with the Lamb And understand that the lamb was provided. I want you to imagine with me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you feel like you don't need provision in your life. But if you are bankrupt, if you have nothing, if there's nothing that you have to offer this problem, then when something is provided for you, you are not only grateful, it is the only way for you. Now I think before we get into the scripture on this, this idea that the lamb is provided for us, it just seems kind of like, you know, second grade Sunday school, what's the big deal? We kind of learned this a long time ago. Why should we talk about this today? The reason it's a problem is because a lot of us, I don't think we're convinced that we need anybody to provide anything for us. And we can't really have an encounter with Jesus. There's no real change that's taking place in our life. There's definitely nothing up to date going on for some, not all, for some, because of this misunderstanding of the fundamental of who Jesus is. They want to have some kind of exchange with the Son of God, but to have an encounter with Jesus the Lamb, you have to understand that the Lamb was provided by God. And it wasn't just like God kind of had the idea first, Hey, here's my son. You could use your son, but I'll use my son. I'm just going to go ahead and be nice first. No. There is nothing that any man or any woman could possess or have that could provide the same thing. See, Scripture tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent His Son into the world, the truth, the Lamb, so that He would be offered once and for all for the sins of all mankind. But, But God, out of His great love for you, provided this Lamb. He offered you this lamb on behalf of you and your sins. Look at Genesis 22. I'm going to read Genesis 22, 7 and 8. We find Abraham, the father of this Jewish nation, and Isaac who was going to birth this nation. They were walking up to a mountain, and when they got to the top, we find this conversation. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire, the the wood, it's all here, Isaac said, but... Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now there's some powerful words here. I don't want us to miss it. God will, what does it say? God will provide. That word provide, it gives us well, one of the names of God, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. My provider. I want you to catch this today. No matter what crisis you find yourself in, whether it's a relational crisis, a financial crisis, a health crisis, uh, some other type of crisis, God is always the one to provide a way out. He is, at His very core, His essence, the provider. And as He provides the Lamb for you, the very fundamental, the basic, the square one understanding of your relationship with Jesus has to understand that God is, has given this to you. I I know we're working on like bouncing the basketball and running line drills and we want to shoot three-pointers, but we've got to understand this first. If we don't catch this, everything else will fall apart. We can't get to next week. We can't get to the third week. We can't begin to see how this encounter with Jesus is the best thing in the world. And I think sometimes we, we feel like we've been sold a bill of goods because we never really encounter the basic of who Jesus is, the Lamb who was provided for us. See, if you go on to read that story, you'll see that God, God didn't really provide a lamb. God provided a ram for him. It says lamb. That always aggravated me. It says lamb, and then got a ram. Well, there's some foreshadowing here that God is going and will provide the lamb of God. Well, that just sounds cute, kind of rhyme. That's some preacher talking. No, no, look, look. John, look what John says. John 1 29. It's, it's in your Bible. John the Baptist is, is, is here. The next day, John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, either that's God's word or it's not. God is, is giving us some clues to our understanding of how important Jesus is, who he is in our life, and why it is so foundational, so basic for us to get, that God provided the Lamb in Jesus Christ for us. Takes away the sin of the world. You see, every sacrifice up to this point before Jesus would just cover the sin. But here, John the Baptist is highlighting that now Jesus, the Lamb of God, will take away the sin of the world. We're going to come back to that in a moment. So the Lamb was provided. Second, the Lamb was pure. Now imagine with me, you could have... A gold-plated watch or a gold-plated necklace. And it may have some value, may have some sentimental value, may have some actual value to you. But if that was solid gold, it would change the value dramatically. Because when something is of value and it is 100% pure of value, it is so different than anything else that is mixed. Jesus was not only... The Lamb that was provided, Jesus the Lamb, was 100% pure, made of one thing, 100% focused on pleasing the Father, 100% love for you and I. He is of the highest value. Exodus twelve five: Your Lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or of the goats. This Hebrew idea here without blemish is what we're understanding as purity. It is made of one thing. There is no deviation of it. It is one pure animal. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish the same idea, it is purity made of one thing and without spot. And Jesus is the price that was paid by God for your sin that is one hundred percent pure. I think sometimes this encounter with Jesus, a real vibrant relationship with Jesus, we don't experience it one, we don't really feel like we need anything provided for us. We prayed a prayer, we kinda got our get out of hell ticket punch. I don't really need anything else from God. I don't need anything else from Jesus? No wonder I don't want to spend time with him. Another reason that, that we don't want to spend time with Jesus: Who cares about being pure? I kind of like my gold-plated watch. The solid gold is is more malleable. It can get dinged up. It can, you know, I I just need it to look good. I don't need it to be solid all the way through. Like Wayne's roll-top desk. I mean. Solid oak roll-top desk is, is kind of cool. It's kind of good, but I don't, I don't need to invest in that. I just I need it to look like it's an heirloom. But, but God wasn't interested in just looks. He was interested in purity and power all the way to the core. And so if we come to the place in understanding how impure we are and how important that is to a holy God, then we begin to see the purity in Jesus Christ is an absolute necessity and gift to us. Another block of why we don't receive this is we say, I, I never really claim to be all that pure. I don't think God cares. I just I'm a grace person. It's not that big of a deal. Hey friend, God is all grace. But God also expects change in our life because of His grace. Why does God say, be holy as I am holy? Well, I don't like that verse. Well, why does He say, go and sin no more? Well, I don't like that verse either. Well, I'm sorry you don't like them, but they're in there. All of them. They all mean something to us. Friend, to have an encounter with Jesus, we have to first see that the Lamb was provided for us. The Lamb was pure and is pure. Listen, you will never be good enough. You'll never be pure enough. You'll never be made of one thing enough. To get yourself to God. Your purity, your consistency is like filthy rags to God. I think another block here is we go, so what? I know I'm filthy rags. We like to get a little bit of God and just keep them with us. Just stick them with us. I found these. These are Jesus trading cards. And I'm sure they're good. And they're good for kids to help us see this. This is the miracle of casting out demons. I guess that's a rare card here. This is, this is Jesus. So you can collect these things, okay? This is good, good. But when we treat our relationship with Jesus, we're, oh, hey, I kind of got this God card. This is good can stick this here. This is good. Oh, I like this one. This is, this is good here. And we just kind of collect pieces of God that we like. Actually, I, didn't, I don't really like the demon one. You know, I'll just give that to you. You can take that one. And the problem is we, we, don't, we don't really see any change. We don't really see any vibrant relationship because I'm trying to get God. But something different happens when the Almighty God gets me. See, this idea of being pure, it's very offensive. Some of you don't look offended yet. So I'm not done preaching this point yet until you look offended. Because when when the purity of this, it's 100% of one thing for purity. And so Jesus, the Lamb, was 100% pure. Saves us to make us 100% pure. Sounds good. Well, a lot of us, we want some Jesus to stick in our coat pocket. Lay off of work, will you? Lay off of my response to that family member who, who's done me wrong. Lay off. I, I don't need that much God. You know what? You've been around people who are just holy weirdos that just god everything all the time. You know, we're Nazarene. We don't need that. I just need a little bit of God. Hey, friend. When I listen to Brzee, if you don't have Nazarene roots, then this is just inside talk. When I listened to our, our great-great-grandfather in Brzee, when he talked about the holy life, he talked about the pure heart. The pure heart that lived out a holy life. The pure heart didn't come on our own. It came from Jesus. When I have a real encounter with Jesus, something changes. If nothing's changing inside, not changed once, continues to change for the better. John three thirty. Jesus increasing. Brady decreasing. If that doesn't continue to happen, something's wrong. And I'm suggesting today until we get this first part right, we can't even talk about anything else. Do you know who Jesus is, the Lamb, who was provided? You had nothing to do with it. Who was pure. You didn't help that out at all. And now we go on to the lamb who was perfect. Now now we get this. (laughs) You're not perfect. If you think you're perfect, let me talk to your spouse. She'll tell me real quick that you're not perfect. If she says you're perfect, then I know you've been married for like a couple weeks. Give it a month or two. I'll talk with them. They'll tell me how not perfect you are. If you think you're perfect, let me talk to your parents. Let me talk to your kids. Let me talk to your employer. Let me get to somebody who does enough life with you to see you for who you are. You're not a bad person. You're not perfect. Again, we throw up a wall and go, I never said I was perfect. I I don't like this. I don't have to have Jesus to to know I'm not perfect. I don't want to be perfect. Hey, be perfect as I am perfect. (laughs) That's what the scripture says in there. Well, it's kind of, you know, hyperbole. Jesus, the one who is provided, who is pure, who is without error, who is perfect, is the one given to us that opens up this relationship. Why is it that some people who who profess to know Jesus, who call themselves a Christian, don't want to spend time with Jesus? They're not convinced that they need anything provided for them. They're not convinced that they should be pure or made of one thing. They kind of like having some diversity. They're not convinced that, that God is calling them to be more and more like Jesus. It just happened once. Let's leave it alone until I die, and then I'll go have a supper with him somewhere sometime. Leviticus 22:21. When anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or as a freewill offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Our lack of understanding of this purity and of this Christian perfection I think is our lack of understanding of who God is in His holiness. This is not God being a cosmic killjoy who wants to zap all of your fun in life. It's a God who is so pure, so perfect, so holy that is inviting you into a relationship with Him. And He has to cast out the very essence of darkness around Him. And He's made it possible through Jesus. And there should be an encounter. Something should happen when we see Jesus. We have to have an understanding, an appreciation, a love, an obsession with this one who's been provided for us. This one who is pure when we are not pure. This one who is perfect when we are not perfect. Just like the Hebrew people many years ago, Moses told them that the Lamb would keep them from death entering their house. You know what God's Word tells us? Don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can put the soul in hell in separation from God. Spiritual death. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, He made Christ virtually to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in and through Him we might become... We would be viewed as being in examples of the righteousness of God. What we ought to be. Approved and acceptable and in right relationship with Him. It's this one who is making us holy. Making us right. See, what makes Christianity different than any other religion. Any other world religion is based on the fact that your good will outweigh your bad. But that should... Really, tell you how blemished you are. You will never get there. The Jewish man we talked about earlier, who would take this animal in to be sacrificed at, at twilight and then one in the morning, the Jewish man making his way, his trek to Jerusalem, with his lamb on his shoulders, on his way to his temple. Do you know what he was thinking? I don't think this Jewish man was thinking, man, I didn't go to synagogue enough this month. It's going to be bad. I don't think that's what he was thinking. I don't think he was thinking, man, I didn't read too much of the Torah. Should have broke out my scroll a little bit more and spent some more time in the Torah. I don't think that's what he was thinking. I don't think he was thinking, you know what, I, I should have done a couple more good deeds. He was focused on his lamb. I hope this lamb is acceptable. I, I hope this lamb I have passes inspection. Because if I have the lamb that's acceptable, it will cover my sin. It will cover my inadequacies. He was fixated. He was focused. He thought about his lamb. I ask you this morning, did you bring your lamb with you today? How are you dealing with the inadequacies of yourself, your sin, with your shortcomings? How are you dealing with the fact that you don't have enough to provide? How are you dealing with the fact that you are not made pure of one thing the way God has made pure of one thing? He, he may be working on you, but you're not there. How are you dealing with the fact that you are not perfect without error? And as you encounter Jesus... Something's going to happen. His reality will collide with your perception. Some of us today, we have a choice to make. We will be changed forever, not because of what Brady's saying, but because of the truth. It is true of who Jesus is. It is messing with your and my perception of Christianity. Our perception of God. Our perception of church. Our perception of what is okay. I don't want to downplay the prayer that you or i prayed at one point here or there or somewhere that invited jesus into our heart maybe you prayed that prayer with me last week i told you on easter sunday if you prayed that prayer to accept jesus in your heart i'm not just excited that you did that that's great that is good there is power that it's just the beginning if you encounter jesus one time and never ever have more relationship with Him. There's never ever anything else changing or happening in your life, or it was for a certain season, but now I'm kind of spiritually retired. Friend, did you encounter Jesus? Something, something should change. Are you changed by Him today? That's that first question I want you to see. And the second question, the whole reason I'm talking about this, is asking, are you changed by Jesus? The second one is, what are you focusing on? Could it be that this relationship with Jesus thing, the desire to to spend time with Jesus, this hearing and talking to Jesus that, that seems so hard for us to grasp sometimes, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on all of the wrongs that you've done? Is that what you walk around thinking about? Are you focusing on all of your abilities, the things that you can do? Are you focusing on all of your failures? Or all of your successes Are you focusing in on your spiritual heritage Are you focusing in on On the reform that has taken place in your life Or are you focusing in on the lamb See if I focus on any of those other things I begin to either get too excited Or I get depressed And I miss the truth that's that's somewhere in between I begin to think that I'm better than I am Or that I that things are more hopeless than they are When I don't focus on the lamb Who's the one who provides what we need Who's the one who is Pure, made of one thing, who is the one who is perfect. See, Jesus wants to encounter you this afternoon. Oh, I had Sunday school, I had church. I'm gonna come back and hear the teens tonight. Leave my afternoon alone. This God thing's wearing me out. He doesn't fit here. Not the way he wants to. It's everywhere. And it's not like pressure. I talked with a friend this last week. It was so good. He was sharing with me what an what insight another person had given to him. It said that if you're living for Jesus and you don't have freedom, you're doing something wrong. Something's wrong. There should be freedom. It's not freedom to stay stuck in the junk. It's freedom from the junk. As Jacob comes and we get ready to get out of here today, I want to ask you to zero in on those two questions. Have you encountered Jesus? And, and here's how we know. Are, are you changed today by Jesus or just once upon a time? And what is it that you're focusing on? Because if you've had an encounter with Jesus, you'll be changed again today. And this afternoon, and tonight, and tomorrow, you'll continually be changed by Him. Why? Because He's the one who provides He's the one who's pure. He's the one who's perfect. You're not. And what is it that you're focusing on? It's often one of those two things that that clobber us, and we can't get on to what we're going to talk about next week, about Jesus being our shepherd. He wants to speak to you. He wants to correct you. He wants to bring you in close. But until we get this part right, we resist that because we don't understand who He is as the Lamb. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Oh Lord, I pray that you'll you'll get my words out of the way and allow your truth to encounter us today. Lord, I thank you for the fact that there's an overwhelming number of people in this room who believe in you, who who I think believe on you. Lord, you know my heart is not to cause anybody to doubt their salvation. My heart, Lord, is... When you call out to us, do you love me? Do you you, you love me? No, do you love me? Jesus, we thank you that you're the only one who can provide for us. You're the only one who is absolutely pure. You're the only one that is perfect and you set up all the other things that are to come in the couple weeks ahead of us. But Lord... If we don't have that foundation right, we confess that we get so caught up in in wanting you to be proud of what we have done. Of resisting the fact that it's almost as if you don't care about what we bring to the table. uh, Resisting to the fact that, that we're better than someone else down the street. Lord, would you forgive us for confessing with our mouth, but allowing our hearts to get far from you. Those familiar words that we have sung for some of us our entire life about your son Jesus in his name and how much we love his name, how much we pray in his name. Lord, as we sing this song today, would you allow it to be our love message to you as we encounter, as you bring some change into our hearts and minds, get us to focus in on who you are, Jesus, the Lamb the one that was provided, the one that is pure, the one that is perfect. Let's sing this to the Lord in response.